Hello, my friends. This is Rick Thomas, and you're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I'm so thankful that you are here. I cherish you. I'm very grateful that you will take the time to listen to our Life Over Coffee episodes. Thank you also for those of you who listen to the Your Daily Drive uh, episodes as well. I am super unbelievably grateful that you do take the time out of your day to listen to the resources that we are putting out there. And I just I just want I just want you to know that. Thank you so much. This is episode 282, and the title of this episode is Social Dilemma: What Social Media is Doing to You. Now, the best way to understand this episode and to benefit the most from it is to turn the title of this podcast into a question. And so let me ask you, do you know what social media is doing to you? And parents, uh, this is a vital question uh, for you, for your family. Do you know what social media is doing to your children? There are so many studies out there. You can you can Google them. I realize there's irony in what I just said, but you can Google them where, for example, the suicide rates have increased since about 2011, 2012. There are so many other negative statistics that have increased and they parallel the growth and the expansiveness of social media. This could be one of the most important podcasts that you listen to, and I do have a lot of resources inside these show notes. Go to episode 282, again the title, Social Dilemma, what social media is doing to you. I took the title, Social Dilemma. It's actually a documentary that is on Netflix. Our family watched uh, this documentary over a couple of, of nights, and we just gathered, and, and all five of us watched it. We've talked about it. We have also have addressed some things that was brought out uh, during that documentary, and I, I just appeal to you, uh, Dad, uh, that you would lead your family this way, Mom, that you would lead your family, friends, that you would get together. It would be really amazing if if a group of kids, for example, uh, got together and and watched this and really made some strategic changes in their lives. But also for us old folks, uh, this is not just a teen problem, and we tend to think of it that way. People who are under 30, 25 years of age, uh, this is this is their problem. But no, it's our problem too. We are addicted people, and that is the whole intent of these social media companies. Part of why I'm doing this episode is uh, a lady on Facebook commented, it was probably a year ago, and what she said was that uh, I would love to go to you know Rick's website, but he uh, requires you to accept cookies. And because of that, I'm not uh, going to his website. Now, there were a couple problems uh, about what she said. I mean, it, the ignorance of it was uh, it, it was humorous. A part of it was really humorous because of the ignorance of what she was saying. But then when you get inside of it, uh, the ignorance is actually stunning. And that's one of the reasons that I want to do this podcast, because people just don't know. I mean, they really do not know. First of all, cookies is a, a legal thing that websites like us have to do. We would be breaking the law if we did not <laughs> tell you that we 
had cookies on our, our website, which you can accept or decline. That's your choice. But cookies are really just a, a mechanism to allow you to move through a website briskly without having to stop and to redo something, like typing your username and your password over and over again. So you'll see sometimes you'll see a button that says, remember me. Well, the only way it can remember you is because of cookies, and that's what cookies do. As far as a scale is concerned, cookies are a very innocuous thing. And so there was that, that level of, of not understanding what, what cookies are, and the fact that we're being honest about it, which again is a legal requirement that we do that. And so we don't want to break the law on that on that matter. But the thing that was more stunning was that she was making that comment on on Facebook. She was saying it on Facebook. Facebook is one of the most criminal and and guilty, uh, culpable social media engines that is out there. And what this lady apparently does not know is social uh, Facebook has created an algorithm of this lady. An algorithm is is an echo. It's a it's a a picture of of her that and inside this algorithmic structure are all of her intentions and preferences and likes and wishes and what facebook does is that they they gather information on us because they want to learn us inside and out it's called artificial intelligence and so basically what they're trying to do is to take our minds and 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 know us uniquely as individuals and and one of the interesting things about this is that some people will have said and I've heard this said that, well, I don't want them to know about me because they're selling my information. Well, actually, that is not true at all. That is backwards. Facebook doesn't want to sell your information uh, to the highest bidder or any bidder, uh, bidder. Facebook wants to know you, and they want to keep all that data within their own uh, house, within their own uh, facility, and they don't want anybody else to have it because what this permits them to do if I know you better than anybody else knows you, then I can connect you to advertisers, and I know what you like and why you like it and what you search for and what you don't search for. Therefore, it's like matchmaking is what it is, like a dating service. Uh, I learn all about you, and then I match you with the perfect candidate. That's what it is. And because I want you and I want the advertisers and you to get together so I can make money off you, I'm not giving your information to anyone. And so that's a, that, is not, uh, that is a misnomer that, that people think, that well, they're going to sell my information. No, they're too selfish to sell your information. Facebook is trying to figure you out by studying what you watch, what you click on, what you share, and by knowing who you are, they can connect advertisers to you so that you buy their products. It's not about selling information because they're too selfish to do that. And what they want to do is to store all of that information so that they can predict your behavior. In the book called The Shallows, which is linked here, uh, the author of the book talks about Google's 300-year plan. Google's 300-year plan is to be able to tell you what you want before you know you want it. Uh, 
They want to create an algorithm that is so tight and and so accurate that that AI, that artificial intelligence, can tell you what you want before you want it. That's their ultimate 300-year plan. Now, Google is already doing that, and you know that to be true, because when you type something into a browser, that browser starts predicting your behavior based on past actions, and therefore the browser starts filling in. It starts giving you a drop-down of options of what they think you want. And they're continuing to refine that. And that's why they won't sell your information to anybody. They want to hoard it all for themselves so that they can connect you with the right advertisers. If you wanted to test algorithms, let me give you a, a diff, uh, just a few illustrations of, of how this works, just to give you an idea. These are real illustrations that you can even test yourself. Let's say if you and a friend were sitting side by side and you Googled the same thing on your mobile phone, the search results would reveal two different things because there are two different algorithms of you. And so if if Biff and Mabel were Googling Hawaii or Googling firearms or Googling coffee, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. If Biff and Mabel, they would get two different search results because there's an algorithm of Biff and there's an algorithm of Mabel. Even though they are married, even though they are one flesh, they are two different people because Google has confiscated. They have been watching you. They have been following everything that you do so that they can gather this unique information about you. Now, here's another illustration of the same thing, but a little twist. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine today, this morning, and he said this. He said, my spouse was searching on Facebook for swimsuits but my spouse was using my account. And then he said that when I went on Facebook and started doing Facebook stuff, there were advertisements for swimsuits. And I wasn't looking for swimsuits. No, you weren't. But the algorithm didn't know that your wife was using the same account, and so you're <laughs> you're messing with the algorithm. Now, part of that is a is a good thing, but because the search was coming from your account, and you were searching for swimsuits, the artificial intelligence only can think that oh, you're looking for swimsuits. They do not know that it's your wife that's using your account. And that's the, that's the same idea of what I was saying with Biff and Mabel sitting side by side and Googling the same thing but getting two different search results. Another illustration of this is that if you live in a blue city, a, a left liberal city, and you search something like, say, climate change, it would give you search results that would be different if you were a conservative person searching climate change. You lived in a red town, not a not a blue town, and it would give you two different search results. Here's one more. 
illustration of this that and I've tried I've tried these or I've talked to people like my friend whose wife was uh, doing uh, looking for uh, swimsuits from from Facebook uh, if you searched for a leftist politician the results on the first page would be positive about that left liberal politician but if you search for a conservative politician the results would be primarily negative the artificial intelligence controls the narrative and you can these are four ways that you can test uh, algorithms and what they're trying to do not only to control what you think and and to give you the information that they believe part of it's the information they believe you want like swimsuits and then part of it is they want to give you the information to control the narrative to brainwash you and this is a huge problem now the question that you have to ask is are you addicted you see, there are two demographics in the world where you would call them users. There's a group of users who use illegal drugs. This is addiction language. User is addiction language. And so if you are a user, you are an addict. And the one, one, one of two demographics, one of those demographics where you call people users are people who use illegal drugs. The other demographic that you, that you call users are those on social media platforms. That's what Silicon Valley calls you, calls you. You are a user. Now, the question that you have to ask yourself is, am I an addict? Now, as we were watching The Social Dilemma, which is where a lot of this information I'm sharing with you right now in episode 282 titled Social Dilemma, one of the ways that, that they proffered uh, to tell if you are an addict is by saying or asking this question, before you get out of bed in the morning, do you grab your phone or do you wait until you use the restroom? Think about that sentence for a moment. Before you get out of the bed in the morning, do you grab your phone or do you wait until you use the restroom? You only have two choices if you are a user if you're an addict, if you're a user, one of the first things you do in the morning before you get out of bed is you grab your phone. If you are a user, uh, you if you don't get it before you get out of bed, you use it uh, while you're in the restroom. And as they said in the documentary, you only have two choices. And if these are your only two choices, then you are an addict. You are an addict and you need help. There was a friend that posted on Facebook today, and as I was going, I was putting some information out there from our ministry, and I happened to see this in the stream, and because I was thinking these thoughts, I responded to this, but the person, uh, they were asking the question, here's the question, why do I stay on Facebook? That's what they were saying. Now, I think they were asking the question partly in, in jest. I'm not sure. But here is what I said to them, and as a friend of mine, by the way, and so I took a little extra liberty in my response to them on Facebook. But I said to my friend, to the question, why do I stay on Facebook? I said, because you're a user. No offense, in, uh, no offense intended here, I said. But there are only two demographics that are called users. One is those who are addicted to drugs, and the other are those addicted to these platforms. That's not me saying this, but Silicon Valley. They look at you as a user. 
their objective is always to be figuring out how to keep you on these platforms. If you've not watched the documentary Social Dilemma, I appeal to you to do it and then become a become strategic about these platforms, including dumping some of them, including specific browsers. I use Quant, Q-W-A-N-T. I went on to say, if your friends want to hear from you, tell them to go to MeWe or another platform that is not manipulating you through their algorithms. They can friend you there. This problem is more severe than most folks think, and I'm not an alarmist. Me, Rick Thomas, I'm not generally an alarmist, but this is alarming. Most I went on. I finished by saying most of the folks who create these apps don't let their children use them because they know what they are doing to us. The user is the last to know. And I know many of you, I see some of my friends on Facebook where they just live a lot of their lives out there. And I'm sad for them. I mean, they tell you what they wear. They tell you the new clothes they receive. They tell you, uh, you know, whatever the event is in their life. And they're, they're just on there and just talking about themselves and sharing their lives with these friends. And I get that in one sense but it is self-destructive, and they don't even realize it. And so I want to give you several suggestions, some of the things that we're doing, and then uh, I want to give you a list of some of the suggestions that uh, they gave on this documentary, Social uh, Dilemma. Again, I appeal to you to watch it. But some of the things that we're doing, one is that we're building a ministry where we can control the throttle, meaning these platforms do throttle us down. I was talking to Daniel Berger recently. We have started collaborating by doing videos, Life Over Coffee with Daniel Berger and, and Rick Thomas, and he's had multiple friends to tell him, I can't find these videos on Facebook. And I was telling Daniel, Daniel, Daniel is a little farther out there than I am as far as the language that he uses because of the unique ministry that he has. And so he's talking about disorders, he's talking about clinicians, he's talking about psychiatry, he's talking about medication. He is more in the secular realm from a bibliocentric perspective, but I'm saying that the language that he uses would be tagged quicker than the language that I use, even though both of us have the same sufficiency of Scripture worldview and we're solidly bibliocentric. But because of the people that he's interacting with, there are buzzwords that he is using that would get him tagged quicker than I would get tagged. And so he's having a hard time uh, or he's had several friends say that we want to watch the videos that you're doing, but I just can't find them. Well, that's one of the reasons that we have invested so much money into our website. I mean, over the 12, uh, past 12 years, I, I would say that we've spent over $150,000 on our website to be able to move it along and to keep up with it and to make it in such a way to make it as uh, uh accessible and easy to use as we possibly can. And so over the past two weeks, we've spent more than $500 uh, just redoing the the 300 plus videos that we have on our website. I'm not going to get into the technology of what we did because it would take 
too much time here, uh, but I did write all that out on one of our community forums. And basically what we did is that we've we have two video platforms. We have YouTube, but we don't have any YouTube videos on our website. And the reason that we're using a different platform for our videos on our website than YouTube is because YouTube can throttle us or they can deplatform us. And if they did deplatform us, every video on our website would disappear. And so we're using another service. But we spent $500. We hired somebody to actually move uh, the videos, the YouTube videos off our website and to give us these new links from this other platform. And again, we paid for somebody to do that because there was a lot of work to do. And so what are we doing? Uh, we're trying to make sure our resources are accessible to where we can control them. I do not want to be vulnerable by, and I've, I've said this many times through the years, for people who are building ministries on Facebook or building ministries on YouTube, that the day's coming uh, where you could lose your ministry. Now, that day is already here, but I've known about this for years, and we've been very strategic through the years about being careful about not building ministries outside of a platform that we cannot control like Facebook and and YouTube. So over the past two weeks, we uh, have paid this money to uh, have someone to change all of our linkage out to a different platform other than and YouTube. So that's one of the things that we're doing because, again, uh, Facebook can throttle you and YouTube can throttle you, and Daniel's having uh, a little bit of a challenge as far as getting the videos out because, well, he's using a Facebook platform, and I talked to him about this. Another thing that we're doing is that we're using, as I mentioned earlier, we're using Quant rather than Chrome, for example. Quant is a less intrusive and a, and a more private browser. Uh, we've also have started building on MeWe and Parler. MeWe is the mirror to Facebook. Parler is the mirror to uh, Twitter. Uh, Twitter and, and Facebook are just evil cousins of each other as far as how they are manipulating culture, manipulating our minds, and, and determining what kind of information that we receive. And those are dangerous uh, platforms. Uh, something else that we're doing is we're, we're letting our friends know that if, I mean, if you want to follow us, some people say, well, you know, I would love to get your information, but you know, you're not on Facebook or I would love to talk to you, but the only place that you will talk is on your website. Well, my take is this, if, if it's important enough to you to where you want to talk to us, then you will do what you need to do uh, to talk to us. We will never turn you away. We will interact with anyone, but you're not going to tell us where we need to go to have a conversation conversation with you. And if the only place that we can have a conversation with you is on Facebook, then we're never going to have a conversation. And that's just the way it is. You don't control where we are going to have a conversation because I under, I'm, I'm looking at a much bigger picture here. And for those of you who are building ministry or even your friends, I mean, it doesn't have to be a ministry. I mean, if your friends say, I would love to connect with you, but I only connect on Facebook, I say, well, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, we connect on MeWe. I'll be glad to connect with you there. But don't let your friends control you to the point that you are submitting to these platforms that really are going to 
cause long-term devastating effect, uh, not only in our lives personally, but our family and the ministries that we are trying to build. Something else that we do uh, is delete the apps off our phone. And I would just appeal to you to go through your phone and just delete as many apps as possible. Like I've, tw- I've deleted Twitter uh, off my phone. I've deleted LinkedIn off my phone. Just as uh, two examples, I've deleted Facebook Messenger uh, as another example off my phone. And, and that means that, well, the only time that I can see uh, those messages that come through LinkedIn or, or Twitter or uh, Facebook Messenger is when uh, I am on my desktop. And so that means I have limited time. I'm not interrupted because the phone is a huge, huge interruption. And so the more apps that you can delete off your phone, the better off you would be. I would also appeal to you to talk to your family members about all of these uh, issues. One other thing as far as what we're doing, and then I'll get into some of the suggestions that the Social Dilemma documentary uh, said, is that we bought an annual uh, subscription to The Daily Wire. Uh, That's Ben Shapiro's website and his team, Michael Knowles and Andrew Clavin. Jeremy Boring, Candace Owen, and now Dennis Prager. Uh, we bought a annual subscription. It's like two hundred and forty dollars, something like that. Uh, because I don't want to get my news from Facebook. I don't want to get it from Google. I don't want to get my news from any other source. And they are a site uh, where they uh, grab good conservative articles from around the country and they put they aggregate they put them on their site and so you can find a a broad swath of conservative uh, information which is important to me and uh, i don't want other people i don't want google for example and, and facebook again to give me that kind of information and so we are starting to uh, gather conservative ministries, conservative organizations, even though they might not be Christocentric like the Daily Wire, uh, but yet they are they hold to our values and we're starting to um, to interact with them more uh, because they're more trusted sources. And so those are some of the things that we're doing. And then in the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, Uh, They gave a list of 10 suggestions, and I want to share them with you as I wrap up this podcast. And I do appeal to you to watch uh, this documentary. If you don't have a Netflix account, uh, I I presume that you can get a 30-day free uh, subscription to Netflix uh, just to watch this this documentary, unless there's another way of you seeing it. But it would be um, in fact, after you watch it, you may want to watch My Little Pony because the truth is it's kind of depressing or whatever cartoon you want to watch because it's it's a depressing video. But I think it's critical information that we all uh, need to be aware of. And so here are the 10, ten suggestions uh, that they gave. One, recognize the problem. And that's why I'm doing this episode. And I trust that I have stimulated you and provoked you. And I trust the Spirit of God will convict you that you would spend some time and that you would recognize the problem and that you would study it out. Number two, uh, create massive public pressure. And you can start that within your own marriage, within your own family, within your own church, within your sphere of influence. Again, that's why I'm doing this podcast. You've got to let other people know. Number three, turn off notifications. Go on your phone and just turn off notifications. Uh, This is not a big 
deal to me. Uh, but then I come from a culture where we had rotary phones. And so I've lived in uh, several generations now. And so I know that the mobile phone is actually not that important. Actually, you can't even call me on my phone. My phone's on call forwarding. And so my phone is not a phone. It's a computer. It's not a phone. It's a computer, even though it's a phone, but it's not a phone. Uh, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, I'll allow people to call me uh, directly because I can't. And I've been doing that for 20 years, I suppose. I mean, as long as I've had a mobile phone, because when people call me, they want to tell their story and their story can be anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes long. And I can't help them like I could help them face to face. And so there's no point in me in getting into these conversations. And so uh, I've been doing this practice for a very long time now. My phone is an excellent phone, but it does everything but uh, used as a phone. And then another thing is turning off your notifications so that you're just not interrupted all the time. Uh, Number four, use browsers that don't store search history. That's one of the reasons we use Quant, as I've mentioned. Number five, uh, don't go for recommendations recommendations but always choose when somebody recommend when facebook recommends something youtube recommends something all of them do this this is ai talking to you this is your algorithm talking to you don't go for the recommendations but you choose what you want to uh, listen to watch uh, read that's why we uh, have the daily wire I, I don't get my news from things that just pop up on my screen if it pops up on my screen i don't i don't go for it and so don't go for recommendations Besides, it's a time waster. Number six, do that extra Google, meaning uh, if you get some news, uh, verify it. Just don't take it as is. Do some more research. Number seven, avoid clickbait. Number eight, uh, follow people with opinions that are different from you. And that's one of the reasons we're part of the Daily Wire, because they're not Christocentric. But they do give me another perspective. Keep kids away from social media. And then number 10, get out of the system. Just start getting off some of these platforms. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.